Wealthy and Smart podcast. Each week, we interview the best and brightest in physical therapy, wellness, and entrepreneurship. We give you cutting-edge information you need to live your best life, healthy, wealthy, and smart. The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be used as personalized medical advice. And now, here's your host, Dr. Karen Litzy. Podcast. I'm your host, Karen Lindsay. Today's episode is brought to you by Net Health. So, Net Health wants to talk about something important patients and their outcomes, specifically how great it is when your whole practice is rallied around a solid outcomes management program. So, if you like to talk about this stuff as much as I do, the best industry event around outcomes management is happening from October 23rd to the 25th in Knoxville, Tennessee, and it's the Clinical Outcomes Summit. It's hosted by Photo, focused on therapeutic outcomes, but it's not just for Photo clients. It's a gathering of everyone who believes in the power of outcomes management to drive change for patients, clinicians, practices, and payers. And very exciting news that I announced in the podcast last week is there will also be motivating and inspiring keynote speakers, including my good friend, Michelle Colley from Performance Physical Therapy and Daniel Lord from Crossover Health. Healthy, wealthy, and smart podcast listeners get a very steep discount. Use the discount code LITZY, and the full summit pass is only $150. So go to www.outcomesnerd.com to register, learn more, and check out the agenda. So a huge thanks to NetHealth, and I'm really excited to go to Knoxville, Tennessee in October. All right, on to today's episode on this week of the podcast, I welcome Dr. Lena McDaniel on the show to share her experience with persistent pain, specifically CRPS. So Lita is a physical therapist in Atlanta, Georgia. She earned her doctorate of physical therapy from Ohio University and holds a BA in psychology from Trinity University in San Antonio, Texas, where she also played basketball and ran track and cross country for the NCAA Division III school. As a, physical therapist, as a physical therapy student, Lita published a book that chronicled aspects of her three-year battle with chronic knee pain and ultimately led her down a path of discovery on her way to healing with the holistic approach. It was this experience that motivated her to become a physical therapist in order to help others recover from chronic pain. Her book is entitled Moments from a Year of Healing, a book of memories and essays. It can be found on Amazon. We'll have all the links under this uh, on the show notes for this week's podcast. So in this episode, we discuss Lita's experiences with complex regional pain syndrome and how it impacted her life, pain neuroscience education and a holistic approach to treatment for CRPS, how Lita's approach to patient care has shifted to a biopsychosocial framework, and the importance of listening to the patient's story and being a voice of hope. So a very big thank you to Lita for being vulnerable and sharing her story, which I know is not an easy thing to do. So everyone enjoy today's episode. Hi, Lita. Welcome to the podcast. I am happy to have you on and a big congratulations to you for being a new physical therapy graduate. So welcome to the field. Karen, uh, it's a pleasure. Pleasure to be speaking with you. And, you know, longtime listeners of this podcast will know that I often have people on the podcast who have struggled through persistent pain, who maybe are still having persistent pain issues, and you are one of those people. 
So what I would love for you to do is just get, let the audience know who you are and tell your story and then we'll take it from there. So I will throw it over to you. Thank you. Yeah. So I just recently graduated from physical therapy school and um, I'm entering my clinical practice uh, as a physical therapist. I'm in Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, we'll be starting residency at Emory University for orthopedic physical therapy in August. So I'm really excited about that. Um, A little bit about what got me into this field and interested in being a physical therapist. I had an ACL injury that I suffered um, in my mid-20s. Um, tore my ACL playing soccer and then I had surgery, reconstructive surgery, uh, to repair that ACL and the recovery from the surgery didn't quite go as planned. So I had had a prior ACL surgery, so I kind of knew what to expect, but this time, um, it was not quite so good and it was a little bit different and challenging in that the physical therapist I was working with kept pushing me to strengthen Uh, my muscles and try to get my range of motion back and all those things that I was familiar with, but my knee wasn't really responding as you might expect it would after surgery. So I had this uh, chronic pain and inflammation that developed over the next six months to a year. And both my physical therapist that I was working with at the time, and then um, a handful of orthopedic doctors, uh, including the surgeon who did, did the surgery, they, they were a little bit puzzled as to what was going on because I had a repeat MRI. They couldn't find any structural issues. Um, at the time, I was really focused on that idea of, well, I still have pain. What is wrong structurally? And I just had this feeling that something is wrong. My knee just didn't feel right. And it was always painful and it was always swollen. And I really couldn't get over the hump to the extent that I was even limping when I was walking about a year after surgery. Um, so I continued to try to rehab and over the next additional year and two years out of ACL surgery, I had a second surgery, synovectomy surgery, uh, where they kind of, the idea is that they clean out some of the scar tissue in there. If the joint capsule is scarred up a little bit and try to get things working a little bit better or feeling a little bit better after that surgery, Again, that kind of made my situation worse, and I developed this nerve pain um, because my knee was hypersensitive at that point and had, after that, diagnoses of complex regional pain syndrome and just really severe nerve pain to the extent that not only was it painful to walk, but I really couldn't walk, and I couldn't put pressure on that knee. I couldn't touch the knee without it being painful um, and kind of just spiraled into this really bad situation where I was pretty disabled. I I wasn't able to work at the time. And I had in that time period gone back to school for physical therapy because I was inspired by this injury and wanting to help other people uh, regain their health. Um, I had some really excellent physical therapists along the way who really tried their best to work with me, um, even though things weren't going in an ideal direction. So, um, Anyway, so I had to take time off school. I couldn't work. And um, all of this really pursuing or being fixated on this idea of what structure is injured. Uh, And it really, the course of my injury and health didn't really change until I flipped my perspective or kind of switched my focus to 
more of a treating pain based on um, what we're currently understanding is more of a progressive approach to chronic pain, which is um, this pain neuroscience education where we're understanding that there are many components to pain, not just structural ones. And a lot of these inputs can contribute to these situations where um, you have this over sensitivity or hypersensitivity. And that's kind of the place I found myself in. So I really started to self-treat based on some of those principles and try to reduce the sensitivity that I build up within my nervous system. Um, and over the course of about a year, I was able to turn things around and get back to the point where I was walking. I was back to school, working, uh, functioning in society like I wanted to. And my pain levels were significantly decreased um, and gradually, gradually got to the point where I, I was pain-free. And can you talk about what specifically you did during this time in order to treat the pain, obviously not treat the structural issues, but to treat the pain, just so the listeners have an idea of what you did? Sure, absolutely. So it's not a quick fix approach by any means, and it's not a um, singular approach by any means. So I really had the perspective of creating as many positive inputs as my positive inputs to my life as possible. And I was really diligent about addressing uh, the, all the different components. As we know, pain really has this biopsychosocial um, construct. And so I really wanted to have positive inputs physically, mentally, and emotionally and socially. So physically, um, I was eating a really um, nutrient-dense diet, so lots of whole foods, real foods, um, fruits, vegetables, bone broths, um, collagen, stocks, things like that. So really preparing foods from scratch and eating a lot of nutrient-dense foods. I was meditating uh, to decrease my sympathetic activation or oversensitivity, um, work on the mental component. Um, I was doing uh, psychological uh, uh, therapy at the time, so cognitive behavioral therapy to try to address that psychological component. Um, I was using visualization to try to incorporate the lowest level input that I could to that system um, and really start preparing for movement in a, in a joint that couldn't really take movement in the beginning, but trying to retrain my brain to prime it for the movements I wanted to be able to do. So I did a lot of visualization on walking, moving my knee. Um, when I got a little bit better, I would visualize myself doing higher level athletic activities such as running or jumping or those sorts of things. Um, yeah. And did you... During the course of all of this, I mean, this is a really holistic approach, which is wonderful. So during the course of this, let's say, year plus time that you really started to shift from a biomedical to a biopsychosocial point of view for yourself and in your recovery, um, did all of, did you start incorporating all of this stuff immediately or was it sort of gradually peppered in? 
Yeah. So there was definitely kind of a gradual addition of different components. As I learned more, I was trying to incorporate different types of treatment to try to make a difference. And so, um, for example, I started a mindfulness-based stress reduction meditation course online that was free um, because I had found out about that. um, And that helped quite a bit, but I gradually added other things in. And one of the things I wanted to mention as well is I was – I was doing, it's hard to mention every single treatment I was doing because I was really trying to address all these little pieces. And I think addressing all those little things really made the difference to turn the tide. So one of the other important things that I was doing, um, not overly relying on, but definitely helped me get out of the most acute and serious pain so that my nervous system could reorganize was pharmacological treatment. So I was taking um, some medications to get me out of pain. And I think that as an adjunct treatment to the other things I was doing was actually really important to have these periods of not being in such severe pain, uh, that I had the ability to do some of these other treatments. Yeah. And I mean, I don't think that there's anything wrong with pharmacological interventions, especially for people with CRPS. I mean, this is really painful. And I think that you're right. You kind of need the medications as a bit of a reprieve for your system so that you can get to all this other stuff. Now, the question is, is are you now on the same medications that you were on in the sort of height of this pain process? I am not. So I was pretty resistant to taking medication, um, in the beginning. Uh, and I really used it for the smallest duration that I could to get me out of that really severe pain. Um, once I was on my way with this combination of lifestyle factors and I had really seen the pain decrease to the extent that I could walk without being in pain or I could touch my knee without having severe, a severe pain reaction, I really started to taper off these medications with the guidance of um, the prescribing physician. Right. So I think for listeners, it's just important to remember that if you have pain, we're not saying do all of this other stuff and don't go a pharmacological route because sometimes that's necessary but you have to make sure that you go that pharmacological route with your physician and that when you're ready to kind of taper down, that you do that also under the guidance of your physician, right? Absolutely. That's a great point. I think also it's important to mention that, and this has been mentioned by others in the field who are doing this work, uh, really trying to get patients to take an active role in their treatment. So just taking medication, but not doing these other active components such as meditation, the prescribed loading, if that's appropriate, um, and really addressing lifestyle factors and taking ownership of those in addition to these more passive treatments, uh, I think is really important. Yeah. And I think it's when you're talking about people with persistent pain, uh, issues like CRPS, 
you kind of, I think it's okay to have that combination of active and passive treatments, but yes, the patient has to know that they're not coming to the healthcare practitioner to be fixed, but instead they're coming to be guided and that they need to, like you said, take an active role because all of this, you know, nutrient dense diet, meditation, psychological therapy, visualization, progressive loading, uh, um, exposure exposure training so exposure to movement exposure to activities that maybe you have fear avoidance behaviors around all of this requires active work from the patient active work from you right and if you're not doing that as the patient i think that you're not giving yourself an advantage would you agree yeah absolutely well said karen yeah. And now let's talk about, so let's talk about time frame here. Obviously, uh, changing your diet. We know that diet does have, uh, huge ramifications to overall health, the psychological training, the meditation, the load loading, you know, gradual loading exercise, movement, visualization, this all takes time. So how people were probably thinking how many hours a day were you working on this stuff? Well, for better or worse, I wasn't able to work or go to school at the time. And so really regaining my health for this year period, I actually deferred a year from physical therapy school. I had started and completed my first semester, but then wasn't able to continue sequentially. But my program allowed me to defer a year. So for that year, my full-time job was getting back to health. And I really took that seriously as a full-time job. So a majority of my time was spent trying to create these positive inputs. I was doing a lot of reading and trying to learn um, as much as I could about pain and physical therapy related things uh, because that's developed into one of my passions. And And I really felt like it was important to maintain this engagement in intellectual pursuits as well so that I could have some connection and some purpose to my future, even though I wasn't actively in school at the time or actively working at the time. So really to answer your question, um, I was working on this pretty diligently. And what was, and maybe you didn't have one, I don't know, but did you have this sort of aha moment at any point? So from the first surgery to where you are now, can you say there was one point where you reached this crescendo and then things started to fall in place? Hmm. Yeah. Thinking back, I think I can't pinpoint a specific time point, but I would say generally it was about the time when I was forced to, um, take a break from school. So it was almost at the lowest point where I wasn't able to walk on my leg. wasn't able to touch my knee because of sensitivity. The pain had gotten so bad that it had really taken me out of, um, a normal functioning productive life. And, Somewhere around that point, I was researching and reading as much as I could on my own, and I really stumbled upon this pain neuroscience education approach and some of the work of Lorma Mosley and Butler and Adrian Lowe and this idea that the pain that I was experiencing 
didn't necessarily have a structural cause. And to me, that was the time period when I really changed my approach from this fixation on trying to find a healthcare practitioner who would tell me what is structurally wrong and how can we fix it to an approach of my nervous system, my brain is just creating this maladaptive signaling or this maladaptive pain response. And I really need to target my nervous system sensitivity versus trying to pinpoint what is wrong structurally. For me, that seems like the turning point um, where I was able to really start making gains and gradually progress back to health. Yeah. So it's kind of the light bulb went off and you said to yourself, I think there's another way. Absolutely. And was there any one piece of reading book article that you can say, you know, something this really helped me to understand what's going on. And on that note, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor and be right back with Lita's answer. Let's talk about something important, patients and their outcomes. If you love to nerd out on this kind of talk like I do, the best industry event around outcomes management is happening from October 23rd to the 25th, and it's the Clinical Outcomes Summit. It's hosted by Photo, but it's not just for photo clients. It's a gathering of everyone who believes in the power of outcomes management to drive change for patients, clinicians, practices, and payers. And the best part, healthy, wealthy, and smart podcast listeners get a steep discount on the registration. The full summit pass is only $150. At that rate, go ahead and bring your entire team. Go to www.outcomesnerd.com and use the discount code LITZY. That's L-I-T-Z-Y. Hope to see you there. Yeah, I think as a somebody who's interested in health at the time, but who didn't have a great grasp on some of the biology and physiology surrounding pain systems and the nervous system. One book that really helped me understand these things. um, And I would recommend to clinicians and patients who are wanting kind of an easy buy-in to these sorts of principles is Lorimer Mosley's book, Painful Yarns. Mm -hmm. He tells stories to communicate these principles of how pain systems work um, in our bodies and really does a lovely job making these principles accessible to, to people um, who might not have the scientific background to understand because pain is complex. These systems are complex, but uh, listening to these stories, I think it makes it really understandable. Yeah, a little bit more digestible for folks. I I often tell my patients to get that book because it it really is a patient-forward book because of the stories and the metaphors that he uses throughout the book to make you say, huh, okay, I think I'm starting to understand this a little bit. Um, Because for the average person, maybe they don't need to get too into the weeds as to the chemical reactions happening in the brain and within the body and the spinal cord and why these persistent pain uh, issues can arise and kind of take hold in the body. But we certainly can give patients stories and metaphors to help them have a better understanding of maybe what's happening and to decrease the fear around what's happening within their bodies. And I think Painful Yarns does a great job at that. 
I agree. And all right. So you, you are diagnosed with CRPS, you dive in, you start treating yourself. Were you still seeing a physical therapist over this year? Um, or were you really just at this point working on all of the components you mentioned above on your own? I had actually stopped seeing a physical therapist because as I was learning more, I was seeking a clinician who had some of these approaches in their toolbox, for example, the graded motor imagery. Mm -hmm. And I really, unfortunately couldn't find one in my, in my geographic area. And so I was actually doing these treatments kind of self-treating at that time hoping that eventually I could work with a PT for some of the loading components, but mm -hmm. knowing that at that point I just couldn't tolerate the exercise based physical therapy. Right. And now were you ambulatory at this time? Were you using assistive device? Were you in a wheelchair? How were you getting around? So for the first, so after that second surgery, I was using crutches for, about nine or 10 months. Oh my gosh. And really non-weight-bearing. Mm. So I couldn't put weight on my leg. So I didn't go to a wheelchair, uh, partly probably out of stubbornness. But yeah, I was using axillary crutches to get around everywhere. And I'm assuming you started seeing progress, which is why you kept with all of this stuff, right? So how long into this year and a half or a year plus did you start to see changes within your pain? I would say really, um, probably within, it took probably three, four months of diligently committing to these practices before I really saw some noticeable change, um, which was really hard, but at the same time, I think is an important thing to communicate, um, where these, these changes and the sensitivity that's been built up in, in your nervous system, it does take time. It does take some patience and some persistence. And I would really encourage patients and clinicians alike to have this long-term perspective of if we can introduce these positive things, just to kind of have trust and just kind of have faith that they're going to make a difference, that they are making a difference on some level but that noticeable changes might take a while to manifest. Yeah, I agree. I think it is very important when you have patients with persistent pain to be very honest with them and make sure that you're giving them some realistic timelines because let's face it, we're human beings and we get frustrated. But I think being honest and giving um realistic feedback is very important because that also helps you to mitigate your expectations, which is important, especially when you have such a serious pain, uh, complications as CRPS, right? Right. Right. And now how has this experience influenced the way you will now treat as a physical therapist? I think ultimately, well, there are a lot of things that I think it adds to my ability to treat patients as a clinician. Um, 
maybe the first thing is to have a little bit more empathy and compassion for what these patients are going through. Uh, having had this experience, I think I understand what the chronic pain journey and struggle looks like, but also what it feels like to be in that. And I think it helps me relate with my patients a little bit better um, so that I'm not just talking at them, but I'm really able to uh, kind of imagine what impact it's having on their life and to try to communicate accordingly um, and really, really develop some good therapeutic alliance with these patients. Um, I think the other thing that it allows me to do as a clinician is kind of, as we were talking about, have a little bit more patience and approach these patients in a little bit more of a calm manner, I think, and realizing that um, it's going to take time to see changes, but that doesn't mean that it's not worthwhile to work with these individuals um, on improving their function, but also on improving their pain Um, and really promoting this expectation that recovery from pain is possible or could be possible, but that's more of a long-term goal for these individuals than some of the patients that we work with who are in an acute injury or an acute pain situation. Yeah. So it's really um, providing hope to the patient, allowing them to even visualize themselves pain-free. Cause oftentimes if you're years into a painful uh, experience, sometimes you can't even picture your life without it. So I think it's really important to give that hope to patients. And another thing that you had mentioned in some of the, the pre-podcast uh, writing is that allowing the patients to tell their story. So just like today, having you tell this story can be a very powerful way for you to continue with your recovery and for others to learn from. So as clinicians, we have to allow these patients to tell their story and also noting that that story may not all come out at one visit. Yeah, good point. I think there's just like in any physical therapy session or clinician patient relationship, um, depending on the personality of the patient and the clinician, there's just a natural unfolding of developing trust and developing um, an ability to communicate between these, the two people where you really can't force that story out of the patient and you really can't force that trust or rapport. Uh, but I think as you're intentional about listening to your patients and understanding where they're coming from and how their injury is affecting their life, Um, personally, I think over the course of a few treatments or however long it takes to naturally work itself out, you really can develop a close alliance and improve your ability to affect that patient's health in a positive way and garner some positive outcomes from your treatments. Yeah. And I think the other thing that's important to mention is sometimes patients aren't ever pain-free and that's okay. Sometimes 
patients aren't pain-free, but they're doing all the things in their life they want to do. You know, they're working towards the things they want to do. Or maybe they went from taking four pain medication, pain pills a day to a half of one a day. So they may still have pain. And I think as physical therapists, it's sometimes a little difficult because we want to fix people, right? We want to make people 100% healthy. But it's okay if the patient continues to have some level of pain, but they're coping and they're living the life that they want to live. So I think as new graduates, if I could give a little piece of advice to all of you guys, it's to not take on your patient's outcomes as your own, but to really, like you said, have empathy, sympathy, step into their shoes and understand that, hey, maybe they're not pain-free, but they can do everything they want to do. And that's okay. They can live with that. Yeah, that's a great point. There are different markers or ways that we can see positive change in physical therapy and decreasing pain is one, but improvements in function are another one. And absolutely mentioning if we can reduce uh, medication use, that can have positive implications for a person's experience and their overall health as well. So I think all of those things are uh, great, great things to think about. Yeah, absolutely. And now, you know, is there anything that we missed? Anything? And we're going to, I'm going to get to your book in a second, but is there anything that we missed about your story, any piece of advice that, you know, maybe you would like to give to clinicians as someone who's gone through it? I think the first thing that comes to mind is as clinicians, sometimes faced with individuals with longer lasting pain or sometimes pain that doesn't quite match a structural issue or a clear PT diagnosis or medical diagnosis, sometimes the inclination is to get uncomfortable and maybe distrust the patient or, or place your, the cognitive dissonance that you're feeling into more of a blaming situation. But I would really ask you as, as clinicians to first off, no matter what, no matter how uncomfortable this makes you or how puzzled you might be as far as what's going on. I would just ask that you really trust what your patient's telling you, trust their story, trust their experience. And if it takes a few visits to kind of reconcile what they're communicating with maybe what is going on, whether it's a sensitization or a longer lasting pain that's um, manifesting in some other way, I would, I would really ask that you treat them as if what they're telling you is the absolute truth uh, and give, give that a chance to really play out before making assumptions about um, a malingering or a psychological primary component to what they're telling you. I think in a lot of cases, um, that's, that's, uh, too soon of an attribution from clinicians who are uncertain about what's going on. Excellent advice. And, you know, at the end of each podcast, I usually ask someone, Hey, what advice would you give to yourself as a new graduate right out of 
PT school, but since you literally are a new graduate right out of PT school, it doesn't seem like the right question to ask. But what I will ask is this, knowing where you are now in your recovery and in your life, what advice would you give to yourself during the height of your pain experience? So if you could go back in time, knowing where you are now, what advice would you give to yourself then? Oh yeah, that is a great question. I think what I would tell myself is, and I did this a little bit, but I think I would try to encourage myself further is to keep an open mind about what is possible for your improvements in health and for the body's ability to really heal and recover given the appropriate inputs. Excellent advice. Thank you so much. And now if people wanted to know more about your story and dig a little bit deeper into your year of healing, they could read your book, Moments from a Year of Healing, a book of memoirs and essays. And where can people find that? Yeah, so my book is available online. It's available from Amazon, both in a print paperback version and also as an ebook uh, supported by Kindle. So they can search for the title of the book, Moments from a Year of Healing, a Book of Memories and Essays, or search for my name as the author. And I believe either way, they should be able to access that. Awesome. And what if people have questions for you or they want to talk to you a little bit more? Where can they find you? Sure. My email is lidamcdaniel1 at gmail.com. And I'm happy to uh, open conversations and um, really talk to patients and clinicians who are wanting additional resources or just want to hear more about my story. Um, Yeah, I think that would be great. Well, thank you so much, Lita, for coming on and sharing your story. And again, congratulations on being a new physical therapist. Good luck in your orthopedic residency at Emory. And I am very certain that any patient that works for you or works with you will be very lucky to have you. So thank you so much for being on the program. Thanks very much for having me, Karen. And everyone uh, listening, thanks so much. Have a great couple days and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. And a huge thank you to Lita for sharing her very personal and very difficult story of CRPS and how she was able to treat that using holistic approach. And of course, congratulations on becoming a physical therapist. And I also want to thank the sponsor for today's episode, NetHealth. So NetHealth is teaming up with Photo, which is focused on therapeutic outcomes for the Clinical Outcomes Summit, October 23rd to the 25th in Knoxville, Tennessee. And it will involve rehab therapy pros from hospitals and private practices, gathering to celebrate, examine, and define outcomes management. You can hear success stories, case studies from your peers about leveraging outcomes data for deep patient engagement, thoughtful business practices, clinician education, optimizing revenue, and more. There will also be motivating and inspiring keynote speakers, including my good friend and captain of our Free the Yoke team this summer, Michelle Colley from Performance PT, and Daniel Lord from Crossover Health. As a Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart podcast listener, you get 
a discount using the code LITZY. The full summit pass is only $150. So go to www.outcomesnerd.com to learn more. Thank you for listening and please subscribe to the podcast at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media. 